0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which is our flagship fantasy football podcast over at Yahoo. I'm Scott Pianowski, and it is Sunday, August 1st. We made it. We are into the teeth of draft season. This is the most important time of the year to get ready, to get prepped, to get sharp about what's going on. With fantasy football, draft your juggernaut today. And with that, we are now going to our daily schedule. We're going to have rotating hosts: Andy Barons, Matt Harmon, Dalton Don and Liz Loza will all take shifts on this podcast. I'm going to be your Sunday night guy through the summer, and uh, we're going to have some of the best fantasy analysts in the industry to to help you get get sharp. It's not one way to play. There's a lot of sometimes we're going to contradict each other. People have different strategies, but our idea is just to get as many smart people, as many smart conversations as we can, and try to help you. And, and with that in mind, and by the way, go uh, set up a league or two or, or 10 on Yahoo. It's, a, it's the best platform to play. We have the best app, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy playing fantasy over there. To make you sharper today, to make you smarter today, you have TJ Hernandez, friend of mine and a longtime member of the fantasy industry. You know him as the director of DFS over at 4 for football. We're going to pick his brain today. T.J. Hernandez, aloha. How
0: are you doing, Scott? Uh, happy to be here. Happy to be here for, uh, yeah, like you said, it's the teeth of it. we got a football game on Thursday, man. we got the Hall of Fame game. We're
1: here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I didn't put it on the script, but maybe, maybe I'll need a pick. I'll need an over-under and a side for you uh, for, for the uh, Hall of Fame game. Just uh, I, I know that uh, that's one of the things that you're really sharp at is, look, what is fantasy football, right? It's predicting the future, right? It's trying to figure out what are likely outcomes, and a lot of that is – yeah, you know, if you're what makes you a better handicapper will make you a better fantasy player. What makes you a better DFS player will make you a better seasonal player, and all that type of stuff. Let's jump into it. Uh, there's really one piece of hot news we have to discuss: Carson Wentz battling foot problems. He's out indefinitely. They're hoping rested rehab will, will be the solution, but they have not ruled out surgery. Now, look, Wentz quarterback's a deep position. I don't. I don't think a lot of people had their heart set on Carson Wentz as a fantasy player this year. I mean, yeah, he's back with. Frank Reich, and he's got to change the scenery when he needed it. So, you know, I, I don't think the Wentz takeaway is that big of a deal. You, you just take a different quarterback. But what does this do to Jonathan Taylor? What does this do to Michael Pittman? What does this do to T.Y. Hilton? Uh, are the Colts no longer a team that is, like, the co-favorite to win this division? I, there's a lot of moving parts here, and, and I guess Taylor is maybe the first guy we should talk about. His Yahoo Yahoo ADP is 5.9, the last that I checked, so he's right smack dab in the in the middle of the first round. TJ, what is your take On how if Wentz were to be compromised, if if Wentz were to not play opening day, you'll miss any kind of a time. If, If Wentz isn't a good quarterback, what does this do to our interest in Jonathan Taylor?
0: I mean, the the worst case scenario, like you said, is surgery, right? The fact that they've thrown that word around already and are, are hoping that he plays week one, it just expands the range of outcome for, obviously, for the whole offense. I, I think people look at, like, the guys that you mentioned, the, the T.Y.'s and the Pittmans and some of the sleeper uh, pass catchers and say, obviously, it dings them, and I think the, the lazy narrative might be well, they'll run the ball a ton and, and Jonathan Taylor will get 20 or 25 touches a game because they don't have any other weapons. Uh the fear for me with Wentz possibly being out um an extended period of time, and who knows, maybe even most of the season, is that if we get significant stats from Jacob Easton, uh he's a quarterback that sub-40th percentile in quarterback rating he has per attempt in, in college, he has Really good arm talent, but he was super inefficient in the two full years that he started. And if Wentz is out and the Colts have a chance of being one of the worst offenses in the league, it could be disastrous for Jonathan Taylor. I went back in, over the last five seasons and looked at offenses that finished in the bottom five in yards per drive, just like a, a quick, dirty number to find the least efficient offenses. And then looked how those teams finished in total running back fantasy points scored. And uh, it was bad. The, the average finish was uh, 24th in team half PPR running back points. Uh, only two of those offenses finished in the top half of the league in team running back points. So basically what that means for Jonathan Taylor is that he would need to get pretty much all of the running back work to pay off the top seven or eight running back price tag, 80% of of the workload of like a bottom 10 run, uh, backfield would put him like in that running back seven, eight range. And that's a huge ask. I know people think he's going to be a workhorse, but we don't see running backs get 80% of the work. It's like Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, and then Jane Robinson out of nowhere last year. Usually it's like in that 70% range. And if the Colts are in a position where they could be in really bad game scripts every week, we don't even know if Jonathan Taylor would stay on the field in those situations. We we saw him get some passing game work. is a great pass catcher. And how, what are the chances of Taylor getting 80% of the backfield work period, let alone if they're a negative game script. I don't think it's as high as people think. He only went, over that like last five-week stretch where he went on a tear to close the season, he was only over 65% two of those games. So I have a lot of concerns about Taylor. Like I, I wasn't even on par with everybody saying he's going to be the 75% backfield guy already. Um, now this just the speculation that it's even possible that they could be this bad, I don't know how you justify paying a, a first-round or even early second-round price tag at this point.
1: So it sounds like he effectively probably isn't even on your board right now. I mean, you'll rank him somewhere, but you know that somebody's likely to take him before you take the plunge. And I'm not even sure if you mentioned Marlon Mack. I mean, he's going to have some share in this offense. I don't know how healthy he is. I also think that this Colts offensive line at some point might have become a little bit overrated. It's it's a decent line. It didn't play well early last season. We we saw, of course, Taylor played great. And, And the story of a lot of rookie backs last year, they played much better in the second half of the season. I wonder if that's something we should follow In future seasons, I think it's a good offensive line, but it's not like this road greater unit that's just going to make anybody into a star. I was open-minded to drafting Taylor, and and now I'm I'm probably with you where unless I'm in a room where everybody's fading him and they force me to ask a tough question in the the middle of the second round, I'm just going to let somebody else have him. I was excited to draft Michael Pittman maybe two or three weeks ago. I thought T.Y. Hilton was maybe past his sell date, but some people said, well, you know, they've used him more effectively near the goal line since Wright took over. As far as I'm concerned, this is out the window now. I, I, this is just to become an offense, and I, I don't mean to oversimplify it. And I, and I hate to – if you're a Colts fan, I sound probably like a doomsdayer, and I don't mean to be like that. But unless Pittman really slides, i, I just going to let somebody else have him because if I don't know who the quarterback is and, – and look, we weren't even sure if Wentz was somebody we could trust anyway. I mean he was, he was a guy with question marks on a good day with a good foot. So uh, Michael Pittman went from – he was a green light to me, and, and now I think he's a red light.
0: I was – getting some interest um, in the Colts passing game, just because even though Wentz was really bad, we have seen him have some really high highs and uh, I'm willing to buy those range of outcomes and, and look for a ceiling uh, when the price is right. And all those past ventures you mentioned were really affordable. One thing that caught my eye and the reason that I was looking at, at these guys is because when the schedule came out, we got, we got look ahead lines um, for all of the games for the season and the Colts, surprisingly, had the fourth-highest average implied point total if we looked at all the look headlines. Um, and then when odds came out to be the highest-scoring team in the league, uh, they had top-10 odds there, too. And I, that's kind of caught my eye. Um, I haven't seen what those numbers have done yet, but obviously I think that expectation goes way down. Regardless of what you think of Wentz, I, I would assume that their point expectation plummets with anybody but him.
1: Does this now? You look at this division. We know Jacksonville is is rebuilding. We know Houston probably right now might have the worst roster and the, just the worst situation in the league. I, I mean, are they throwing parties in Tennessee? I know the defense isn't great. Um, you know the, the offense is, is going to. We'll see what they do without Arthur Smith. They did promote from within with the OC. Uh, from a handicapping perspective, does this change your outlook on the Titans? I mean, what's is there a, a buying opportunity somewhere? That who's going to benefit from all this?
0: I mean, I, I think maybe what it does is if you were somebody that maybe had any reservations about Derek Henry because he doesn't catch passes and maybe might get game scripted out with the Titans possibly looking to a. Uh, Maybe being more pass-heavy with with Arthur Smith and obviously bringing in Julio Jones. At least six of those games now, I think they're probably probably going to be in really comfortable game scripts um, uh, against the division, and, and might end up kind of being like the Patriots we've seen for the past, at least for this year for the past, like two decades where just penciling five or six wins for those division games real quick. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't even know how the Titans don't run away with this division.
1: Yeah, I used to have a kind of a yearly tweet where I used to say how brilliant it was if Bill Belichick to schedule the AFC East again. And that's not true anymore. I mean, the Patriots aren't even the favorites to win that division. You know, Buffalo's become kind of a bully. And and, and I know you like some pieces in that Miami offense. We'll get to that a little later in the show. But um, maybe... The Titans are – maybe Mike Vrabel is a genius for scheduling the, the AFC South because it looks like this could be a lot of soft landings in this division.
0: Yeah, I think some people might, that might have been looking at maybe some uh, some win total over that might push into to the over on the Titans.
1: Recently, you wrote a piece that we uh, simulcast on Yahoo about positional trends that you wanted to exploit – and let's take a look at some of those. And I think we're at a time where we're rethinking what the quarterback strategy, the optimum quarterback strategy has been. We've seen more athleticism at the position. We've seen more proactive running. It's a time when the league doesn't want quarterbacks to get hit. I don't think defenders know what to do with some of these running quarterbacks because they're afraid they're going to get penalized if they put the lumber down on these guys. And so that's become a cheat code, as, as Rich Rebar would like to say. Is quarterback streaming dead? Is it, have we reached a time where it used to be quarterback was, I think, of the four positions, maybe the lowest priority or the third lowest priority. Is it now a time where you have to have a more proactive plan to draft a quarterback? What, what type of uh, research and conclusions have you drawn at the quarterback position?
0: Um, I, I think quarterback streaming might be in a temporary coma. We saw last year, uh, like generally, the reason quarterback streaming has, has been very successful, and obviously we're talking about one quarterback traditional ten to twelve team leagues, uh, is because the court the position has been extremely replaceable, extremely deep, and that's just based on the fact that quarterback scoring has fantasy scoring has been very linear. The drop off from one quarterback to the next has been almost nothing, and even the drop off from like the quarterback eight or nine to the quarterback nineteen or twenty has been marginal um, at, at best. What we saw last year was a huge drop-off after the top eight or nine quarterbacks. And not only did we see a huge drop-off in uh, scoring from that top tier, top two tiers of quarterbacks, but we've also seen fantasy drafters get super efficient at figuring out who those quarterbacks are going to be. We only saw three quarterbacks that were drafted outside the top 12 last year finish as top 12 quarterbacks. Uh, The hit rate for people drafting top 12 quarterbacks is just extremely high, and it's because of what you mentioned. And in the past we've had these mobile quarterbacks where the the cheat code with them was they were catching up to the to the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's but but they weren't anywhere near as good as passers. So it was kind of the efficient thrower or the mobile quarterback. Now we've combined those things into this group of like seven or eight quarterbacks that can do both things very well and it's very hard for the field to keep up with that then so because of that I think it's really important to prioritize these guys I would probably say um the top nine depending on, on what rankings or ADP you're looking at ending with like a, a Jalen Hurts like the drop off from him to even a Tom Brady is one I'm, I'm uncomfortable with as great as Brady was last year um just because those guys can score so many points I do think with some of these are quarterbacks, the like Joe Burrow, Trey Lance is the world. I think we're going to see more options and we're going to get back to where there are a lot of mobile and efficient quarterbacks, but at least this one year window, I don't think those quarterbacks are going to make the leap up to those guys. So in the past, I've always been really comfortable waiting usually the last guy in my league to take a quarterback, sometimes not even drafting a quarterback in a standard 12 team league. I'm prioritizing at least one of those top seven or eight guys. I'm, I'm usually not getting Mahomes, homes as much as I love Josh Allen, not getting him. If it's not a best ball league, just because it's way too expensive where I, I would never maybe spend a, a eighth round pick on, on Russell Wilson or Herbert before. I think it's really important to do that this year.
1: Is there a player you find yourself getting more often in the drafts that you've done so far?
0: Yeah, just Russell Wilson, because he's often going at the back end of that tier. Like he sometimes I think Herbert's going pretty consistently in front of of Russell Wilson. And depending on your lead, sometimes you'll see you'll see Hertz go at least right where Russell Wilson is going. And I, I think it's preposterous to have him. Like at the bottom of that tier, I think he should be at the top pretty clearly. He's been one of the most efficient passers, about the most efficient passer, um, not even just in recent history, in history, and and that's passing, um, scoring rates, everything, and then he's been able to maintain that at a, a very high rate. So even though people want to say the Seahawks are this run at first team, and there's not going to be uh, there's not a ton of passing upside. I mean, Russ with his legs, even though he you know he's been kind of up and down the uh, last couple of years with how much rushing he's giving you he gives you enough where he has those 30 point games where he can compete with the Josh Allen to Patrick Mahomes of the world and uh, he's, he's going to finish in that top tier so just because he is kind of down that QBA QB9 depending on your league I just find myself drafting the rest of the
1: time. yeah I think he's become a, a boring veteran player right I mean he's been around for a while and he's not a shiny new toy anymore. Um, you, know, you know, Last year, there's the whole MVP narrative. Oh, my God, Russell Wilson's never had an MVP vote for about half the season. He looked like a candidate. Second half of the season, for a lot of different reasons, that passing game fell off. I don't think anybody's going to miss Brian Schottenheimer. And we're excited to see a new voice and a, a new direction. We'll, we'll see how much Pete Carroll derails some of that. But I still think that the, now that the price has come down, now that you now that there's no you don't have people elbowing you out of the way for Russell Wilson, I think he sets out to be a tremendous value. One of the things you talked about in this positional piece is the ADPs of running backs and wide receivers, and, and that ADPs are up for running backs, ADPs are down for wide receivers, and yet there's kind of a disconnect here because the market, the value that you get drafting running back twos and running back threes is really bad. I mean, that's a lot of talk about the running back dead zone. About uh, you don't want to step into this tier. You, you, the, the running backs you're taking around four, round five, often return terrible value and in recent data analysis. So just give me an idea of just where the ADPs are headed with these positions, what you found and what the upshot is, you know, how do we apply it to our fantasy drafts?
0: Yeah. So I I used historical uh, consensus ADP to, to do this study for the past uh, going back to 2015. So five full off season. So it might not line up perfectly with what we're seeing on uh, Yahoo right now, but in general, we're always going to see like those top, Five or six wide receivers and then the top 12 running backs, those guys are always gonna go very early. Um, that's not a surprise, and it's it's not crazy that the first round is full of running backs because everybody does want the workhorse. But what we're seeing is people are really going out of their way to chase that because the top three or four running backs have been so dominant and that's pushed up. Like if we look at the price of the RB twenty four say, some spots it's all the way up to like pick forty-six or forty-seven. So that means 24 running backs are making up more than half of the first four rounds. And like you said, what we've seen at the wide receiver position outside of two or three guys like Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins, um, not just as fantasy scoring converging with like the wide receiver ones, even wide receiver threes of teams, but that's because the target shares have been converging. Like these top tier wide receiver ones outside of one or two guys aren't seeing the 27, 28% target shares that we've seen nine or ten guys get um, in the past and that's really elevated the wide receiver two wide receiver threes of the team that's made wide receiver extremely deep and even though wide receiver twos wide receiver threes and some wide receiver fours are scoring more than ever their prices have dropped so what it's really allowed sharp drafters to do is just really gobble up a ton of wide receiver value depending on how you start your, your first two rounds i mean you can make a lot of arguments for the combination. of running back wide receiver even tight in, but say around three through seven, like you can legitimately go in almost every draft, especially in a very casual league and just know you're going to hammer pass catchers for about four or five rounds and come away with a lot of really good ones, especially if you're in a full PPR league that starts three wide receivers. Like you have a legitimate chance of starting four top 36 receivers. If you're just hammering those trends and it's a strategy that I've loved doing. I mean, I, I hate to go into a draft and say, this is how I'm drafting. This is what I'm going to do. But naturally draft flow has just let me start running back tight end, just hammer wide receiver after that, and just come away loving those teams. And I'm not forcing it. Dra- drafters are dictating it for me. And it seems like it's working out really well so far. We'll see how I feel about that in December. But, uh, even last year, we started seeing it a little, not as extreme as, as we're seeing this year, but, uh, the last year obviously contributes to this historical trend we're looking at and i had a lot of success uh, in best and draft with a very similar draft strategy.
1: Yeah, i think we're in lockstep about the wide receiver strategy. I don't necessarily have to have the best receiver in the league on my roster, but i want my wide receiver my, i want my wide receiver room to be better than other people's wide receiver rooms. I want my wide receiver 3 to look like he could be a wide receiver too on somebody else's roster. I want to win. I know Roto Viz has talked about this in the past, and different analysts have made this point. Win the race to the flex. Have the best flex players on your roster. And, and again that means that i may not prioritize even though i you've made a very good case about you know don't don't blow off quarterback you know get a quarterback you know and maybe even take one of the top five or ten guys but i love having a receiver room that i think is the envy of the league or, or is one of the strongest ones in the league and i think that's where we're getting great value in, in round three round four round five round six and as you said the days the days of guys getting 185 targets that's that's probably out the window you know i, I remember guys could get 200 targets in a season now there's more striation and, and but what we see is those wide receiver two and wide receiver threes on teams are still very strong and very playable. And so I think you make a great point for why we should not be drafting running backs in that pocket. Now, you made the point in this article that tight ends are as volatile as ever, except at the top, where, let's you know, face it, Kelsey Travis Kelsey is already in the Hall of Fame, and he's in the argument his best tight end ever. He just said it's his best season. And he had it at a time where the bottom, the middle and the bottom of the position just crash landed. You had all these fun stats where like the difference between Kelsey and tight end three was like the same as tight end three and like tight end 58 or something like that. I forget exactly how the math came out. But basically, Travis Kelsey dominated. Darren Waller had a nice season. You know, George Kittle was a little bit of a frustrating player at times. We, we saw some guys get the touchdown it. Robert Tunyon scored a bunch of touchdowns in Green Bay, not with a lot of yardage. But I'm seeing a lot of analysts. Uh, my friend Michael Salfino, who I do a p- podcast with, uh, Breakfast Table, he's saying he wants to come out of his draft with Kelsey or Waller. He thinks that's that's important. Talk about how you see the tight end landscape and what your strategy is at this position.
0: Yeah, I, I'm still um, throwing Kittle in that that must have mix. I know some people have some reservations, obviously, because possible switch to Trey Lance and coming off injury. But I, I still have Kittle in that that dominant tier. Uh, just the the advantage that these tight ends give you over the field it's really unmatched at at any position right now and not only is it unmatched but you can't replace it quarterback goes down even if your top running back goes down there's there's ways to get back to some of those points um at tight end it's not only is it really hard to replace those points but it's really hard to predict i talked about how we see quarterbacks ADP very efficient top 12 guys are being drafted as top 12 guys we haven't seen that with tight end, whether we go back two years, five years, ten years, it's every year it's just kind of a crapshoot outside and lately it's been those top three guys, but we're really only seeing five or six top twelve tight ends drafted as such. And then the guys that fill out the rest come from as as much as drafted as tight end thirteen fringe tight end ones, just to not drafted at all, guys. It just kind of blew up scoring a bunch of touchdowns. So the predictability of the position has is always going to be very tough because as a position it's the position that sees the least volume i mean again obviously when you can find those 100 target guys they're very valuable but they're just so few and far between a player that's seen 80 targets in the season his numbers are just going to be all over the place so i put a huge premium on those top three tight ends right now and if you don't do that it isn't like quarterback in the past where it is easy to stream. It's a really difficult position to stream. It's possible, and then you know people that do their homework are going to have advantage over those that don't. But it's not a predictable position, or one that's just always going to be crazy touchdown dependent. And because of that, I, I want those top three guys.
1: It just feels like, and again, look every week you know we'll do the waiver wire podcast with Andy Behrens, and we'll have no problem giving you four or five tight ends who can who can jump over a very low bar, right? OK, this is a guy who might get three to six targets and he might have maybe a 25% chance at a touchdown or something like that. There's a bunch of guys like that. But what you won't find is a tight end who has any kind of market share. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, here's a tight end who's and, you know, he might get 10 targets this week. I, we can't say that with any confidence. So it's a position where you have to ask yourself, is your tight end somebody who could lead his team in targets, could lead his team in touchdowns? There just aren't that many guys. Again, they're going to go really quickly. Let me ask you this. Let's say you you showed up at a draft your internet went out. You, you didn't get the draft of the first five rounds. So all the good tight ends are gone. If you had to attack this position from a, a bargain basement, uh, you're scraped, you know, whether you're trying to find a sleeper or just you're playing the waiver wire. Is there anybody outside the top seven or eight who at least is a little bit interesting to you?
0: Yeah, I think depending on, on the side, I think Gerald Everett's still going outside that top 10. Um, I, I like him just because he has an opportunity to uh, to be not a primary target, but one of the top three targets in a really efficient offense. And then if we're going really deep, I, I really like Anthony Fergster. He's already drawn a couple of comparisons from his coaches to, to Johnny Smith and Delaney Walker and Camper only a few days into it. Um, but I think that this offense, we talked about this offense a little bit already, I think this offense has a very high passing ceiling. Now, as long as Derrick Henry's healthy, I think they're going to lean on him. He's going to be the focal point of the offense. But they lost John Smith. They lost Corey Davis. Obviously, Julio Jones is coming in. But Ryan Tannehill is one of the most efficient passers in the league since he came over to Tennessee. And if anything does happen to Derrick Henry, who I'm not saying we can predict injuries, but he has as much wear and tear on him as any running back in the league. And I'm not ready to sit here and say that he is the one that's going to break the trend that can stay healthy no matter what. Even Adrian Peterson, who everyone says, oh, he was – He's the guy that got it done in their regard. Adrian Peterson, look at his track record. Every three or four years, he had an injury where he missed a lot of time. So I think that Tennessee's ceiling has a... Uh, passing offense has a crazy high ceiling, if anything were to happen to Derrick Henry. And even if he stays healthy, they're going to be an efficient offense. And I think Ferkshire can be one of those guys that you, like you talked about, it's only going to have to hop over a very low bar to be a top 12 tight end if you are going to stream him or at the end of your draft. So I, I like buying, I just like buying cheap passes of this um Tennessee passing game by a candy. Usually that's just Tannehill and Ferkser because Julio and N.A.J. are being drafted as, as top 20 wide receivers. I, I really, really like Tennessee's passing game this year.
1: You mentioned kind of the hint of reservation with Derrick Henry. I'm just curious. We don't have to talk long about this, but McCaffrey is the consensus number one pick. Dalvin Cook's consensus number two pick. If you were picking third in a draft, I'm just curious, and those two guys were gone, I'm curious who's number three on your board right now?
0: It's Saquon for me. Um, I mean, I, it looks like he's going to be. On the field, and he catches passes. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Me. He catches a ton of balls, and Derek Henry doesn't. And he has—he's um, a player that's not going to be game scripted out. And as great as Derek Henry's been, like he is, when we talk about zero running back and why the position is fragile, like he is—why the position is fragile—he scores a lot of touchdowns and relies on rushing yards and doesn't catch balls. He's been great, but he's a very fragile player. So I, I think Saquon is my my uh, one point oh three
1: talking to TJ Hernandez of Four Four Football, one of our favorites and a very well-respected member of the fantasy football industry. Uh, recently you tweeted, you were doing some um, hive mind with some of your followers. You said, what are some of the most common fantasy football adages you hear thrown around? And it doesn't matter if they're true or not. So we're going to do some some myth-busting or maybe some, some myth-validating. Myth and one of the things you came up with is that there's this idea that young quarterbacks look to settling with their tight ends, it's a nice comfort throw for them. Did you find that to be true or false?
0: There's no data that supports that. And I just looked at rookies specifically because I think that's kind of what people say a lot. So I I don't know how you define young. I I just defined it as as rookies. There's no data that says that their rookie tight ends lean on, rookie quarterbacks lean on their tight ends more. I went back to 2002 and looked for rookie quarterbacks that threw at least 200 times in the season that gave me 59 examples of teams with basically full-time starters rookies as their starter 25 of those teams saw an increase in team tight end target share from the year before 32 saw a decrease and two saw no change at all so basically the spectrum is a perfect bell curve and in isolation a, a rookie quarterback had no impact on how much a team threw to their tight end the next year uh and that rolls over into kind of another I, I don't know if you want to call it a myth but just something you see thrown around a lot um and that's something something to the effect of this quarterback loves to throw to running backs or this coach loves to throw to these types of receivers even outside of the study when one study that i do every year and i used to do it for almost every coach in, it kind of became um, a futile effort it was just breaking down coaching tendencies and one thing and quarterback tendencies as well and one thing is that except for a couple of guys on the extremes and even then it really just comes down to talent, but especially the passing the talented players are going to get the most touches and targets, and sure, there are going to be extremes like the Lamar jacksons who his his backfields probably are never going to be that great because he rushes so much but like the the ideas of like a mobile quarterback isn't going to throw to his running backs. Um, you could find examples on both ends of the spectrum. You might find some some slight um, correlations that, that support notions like that, but usually these things are a case-by-case basis, and these big, broad blanket statements you should always take them with a grain of salt. And, and even if they are accepted as, as truth, even if you hear people, I mean, you and I talk and, and write a ton, we might accidentally throw one of those out and and other people might take them as truth. Um, when you hear genera- generalities like that, if you go back and do the research, you're usually going to find that uh, that's all they really are a mess.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the best coaches generally work talent to scheme. It's not scheme to talent. It's not, okay, this is what I do and you have to play... Into this blueprint that I've tried to make work for the last ten to twelve years, it's more of what do I have here, what type of offense do I need to run, what type of scheme, what are my players good at, how can I put them in positions to succeed? Not okay. What did I what worked seven years ago with a different organization and totally different group of players, and how do I make that shoehorn? And again, you know, and some coaches will 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 try to force the same scheme in no matter where they go. I think those coaches end up widely being unsuccessful. Now this is the part TJ where we get to ruin your your draft value. We're talk about some players you like, and uh, then then you won't be able to draft these guys in two or three weeks because you know everybody will listen and they'll they'll screw up the value for you. I asked for a, a handful of names of players you, you thought you were proactive on whether you like their ADP, you've been drafting them, whatever it is. And of the six names you gave me on the good side, uh, two of them were from the Miami passing game. Uh, you're you're high on Tua. And you're high on Devonta Smith, so uh, I'll just give you the Miami passing game and those two guys in, in particular, and tell us what you like.
0: Oh, sorry, Devonta Smith from the Eagles, not Tony Parker. From oh, the, I'm sorry, uh, I'm I, sorry. But I, I do like all of Miami passing game, though. And I was just I, I've kind
1: of, conflated I've conflated I, the wrong Alabama wide receiver, of I, course, on Miami because they they do have Jalen Waddle.
0: I was gonna throw to I was gonna throw Devontae Parker in though. I, I wanted to throw I wanted I wanted to throw in a Tua because I wanted to to give you a quarterback even though I, I knew I was gonna leave with, with our conversation about saying how much I want a top eight quarterback. But well you know, TJ,
1: the, the, the NFL draft was only a few months ago. I, I can't be expected to know what team everybody's on. So um, you know, I, I'm not gonna to be too hard on myself for that. But let's talk about uh, isolated Tua. I think he's I think he's a really tough I've talked about this a lot on this podcast. I think he's a really hard guy to evaluate. And and Joe Burrow comes into this um, discussion too, because they played with every toy in college and guys in in Alabama are wide open. Jalen Waddle's wide open and Devonta Smith's wide open. And and the running back talent was so good. Every once in a while, I'll just look at the football reference page of Alabama for the last few years and see guys who couldn't get on the field sometimes because the talent ahead of them was so gross. It's just unbelievable the conveyor belt of skill talent they've had And so it makes it difficult for me to really isolate how good Tua is. That said, man, he's got really good receivers. Again, not Devonta Smith, of course, but he has Jalen Waddle. He has Will Fuller. Uh, Devonta Parker has emerged. It took a while, but he finally got it going. I'm not sure how great the running back room will be. Um, Mike Gusecki, some people are are high on maybe him having a breakout season. So you would think the talent's here for Tua to do something in year two. You expecting a leap from him?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, you touched on... All of the weapons they have, They've, they're obviously really invested in this passing game. Um, they were already an offense that was that was top ten in neutral passing rate, uh, over the course, of the entire season. Uh, we want to touch on Devontae Parker real quick. I think everyone's going to look at, at Waddle and Fuller and say they're they're the top two uh, wide receivers in this offense. I mean, it did coincide with some injuries on the team, but Parker did see a huge spike in target share once Tua took over last year. Again, a couple of players got hurt, so there, there's a little chicken egg uh, situation there. But I, like you said, these players are hard to evaluate. We don't have a huge sample. What I did go back and look at is players like Tua and Joe Burrow, how their offenses look in their second year. Going back to those miss we were talking about, a lot of things we hear is the year two quarterback leap. If I, if you look at all the offenses where quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, started eight plus games, and there were full time starters the following season started twelve plus plus games, those offenses had a three percent spike in uh, neutral pass grade. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot. That's enough to take an offense from like the eleventh or twelfth highest passing rate to a top five passing rate team. So even with that small little spike, this is an offense that. I think they're, at least their passing volume potential is, is very, very high. And they can, at least from a volume perspective, approach numbers kind of like we saw from the Chiefs last year. They have the weapons to do it. So if Tua can can be even average or slightly above average, I mean, you don't have to draft him at all. He's going as the quarterback 23 on Yahoo. So if you're in a one-quarterback league and, and you miss out on those top eight guys, I don't have a problem or – Obviously, for the last one to, to take a quarterback and, and the Joe Burrows and, and Tom Braders are gone, and I am stuck being the last guy in my draft-taking quarterback, I'll take a shot at Tua, and if he doesn't work out, well, you were already you know kind of behind the eight ball of the draft anyway, so you're not missing much uh, thereby taking him. So I just like investing in, in this passing game um, as a whole, and Tua is obviously a really easy way to, to get access to all those guys we talked about.
1: Certainly a case for plausible upside with Tua. Now, two players I'm pretty sure are two teammates are, are Trey Sermon and George Kittle. And uh, my colleague Matt Harmon has said that he thinks solving the 49ers from the skill position standpoint could be a key to winning a fantasy league. We know they have a lot of talent. We're not sure who the quarterback is going to be. We talked a little bit last week about with Scott Barrett about, you know, when he thinks Trey Lance is going to pop. The thing with Sermon is, I mean, who is he behind? I'm a Raheem Mostert believer, but he said trouble handling heavy workloads. He said trouble staying on the field. And so it's not hard to imagine a scenario. Where maybe Sermon leads this backfield and carries. Maybe he leads his team in rushing touchdowns. The only thing with Kittle that frustrates me, one of my favorite players, you get nothing for his box. You get nothing for his, you know, his joie de vivre on the field. You know, he's never scored more than five touchdowns in a season. Again, it could be a matter of playing with two different quarterbacks. I think Kittle might be maybe a better real life player because I think he's a god as a real life player and just maybe a very good fantasy player. But maybe, you know, you're left wanting in the touchdown column, Uh, Talk about why you're high on Sermon and Kittle this year.
0: Yeah, from just a a roster construction and and fantasy draft standpoint, uh, like we talked about with tight end, even if Kittle isn't going to give you Travis Kelsey numbers, we have seen him have... Upside, uh, at least on weekly basis, similar to Kelsey, and the advantage of Kittle compared to the to the rest of the tight end field, I think, is still significant enough that I want to be targeting him in drafts where I'm at that, that back half of the second round. Some, so I don't know. if Some leagues, you might be able to get him. Uh, you know, his ADP is 27, so early third round, I think that's a really good value uh, for a player that's just going to give you still a lot of volume, like we talked about. I think the most talented players are generally going to, to get the ball to them the most. And I think he's one of the most talented players in the league. Trey Sermon is not, like Matt talked about, not just solving this uh, skill position, but solving the 49ers backfield is something it feels like we're talking about year in and year out. And I talked about those coaching narratives and very few coaches really do live on, on the extremes, but Kyle Shanahan does live on the extremes. He's the only coach besides Kevin Stefanski who only has two seasons as a full-time play caller who over the last decade, Shanahan's backfields average over 60% of the team touches. Now it's been really hard for us to quantify that into our fantasy football teams the last couple of years, because they've had these, these um, crazy backfield committees, but Shanahan isn't one thing that gets thrown around about Shanahan is that he's a committee guy. Now he, when he first year in San Francisco gave Carlos Hyde a huge touch. We saw Monte Freeman get an RB one season um, under Shanahan. So, Shanahan's going to give his running backs a lot of work, and if he has a guy that he trusts to give 65 70% of the touches, he'll do it. If it's going to be that guy, is it going to be the player that they traded up for to get, or is it going to be a guy that they've already had opportunities to give him a full workload and it hasn't been there? I think the more likely scenario is if it's one of them, it's going to be Trey Sermon. So, I mean, he is not like a going crazy uh, cheap. He's an RB35 pick 99 on Yahoo, but, I mean, that's still... Like I'm at I'm, a pick 100 or whatever. That's fine. If, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't kill me. Uh, I, I really just like the upside of Sermon in a Shannon offense.
1: One of my favorite things in fantasy football is to find players on good offenses where there's a concentrated usage, where there's a narrow usage tree. And I look at the Rams who have, I think everybody would say they've upgraded a quarterback. Matthew Stafford's in town now. Finally, Sean McVay is a quarterback that maybe he might take the training wheels off a little bit. Stafford can make plays out of structure that that probably Jared Goff couldn't make, and this team is Robert Woods. This team is Cooper Cup. I, I don't. I don't see. I mean, maybe people are Van Jefferson stands out there. I'm not one of them. I think it's going to be a really narrow usage tree with a better quarterback, and, and maybe they'll even need to throw the ball a little bit more. I don't know how the fault's going to be with Cam Akers. If they'll eventually add somebody else, if maybe there's an untapped talent in their backfield. But I, I saw Cooper Cup on your list, and I just immediately started nodding because. Along with Robert Woods, he's somebody who's a very easy pick for me to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, even before the Cam Akers injury, I had written up Robert Woods. Uh, I'm sorry, Cooper Cup, just because really the only difference between him and Robert Woods last year, outside of, of some rushing upside, was um, their scoring rate. Uh, Cooper Cup only scored on two and a half percent of his targets. The league average is right around four, four and a half percent for wide receivers. And Cooper Cup, because he early in his for the first three years in the league, he was a very heavy red zone target that didn't happen last year his touchdowns drop is finished barely as as a wide receiver too um i think his upside is him and robert woods with a couple touchdowns can easily flip flop cooper cup could easily be the wide receiver 12 wide receiver 13 in this offense with good touchdown variance and like you said matthew stafford jared Goff. the difference is night and day jared Goff has been bottom seven, bottom eight, and pretty much any efficiency metric you look at over the past two or three years, Matthew Stafford has been top ten in all those numbers. Um, we know Stafford is a player that can throw a ton, will throw a ton, and can do it efficiently in spurts. Without Cam Akers, I think Sean McVay just is throwing the ball nonstop. I mean, he's been near the bottom of the league in running back touch share every year that he has been the coach of the Rams, and that includes years where he's had peak Tucker. Uh, so if he's not going to give a Todd Gurley offense a huge running back touch, and Todd Gurley obviously was getting most of those touches, but the team wasn't built around a running back plan, um, I don't think they're all of a sudden going to throw less uh, with Cam Makers going down. So this passing offense, I mean, get Cup, get Robert Woods, get Matthew Stafford, but you can get Cup a little bit cheaper, and I think his upside is, is just as high as Robert Woods.
1: And remember, it was just two years ago where only three players had double-digit pass receiving touchdowns and cup was one of the three. So I mean, it's not like he he's never shown the ability to get in the end zone before. And, and smart coaches realize it used to be a player of cup size would, would never be a red zone guy, but now it's about quickness. It's about space and you don't necess- it's not about, you know, okay, who can we throw a fade to, you know, an incomplete fade to in the corner of the end zone. So I, I think there's definitely a path for cups, touchdowns, rebound, I mean, last year it was the story was was Robert Woods. His touchdown rate was was something that was unsustainable. And he fixed it a little bit. He didn't go crazy with the touchdowns. This year it looks like a buying opportunity with Cooper Cup. To, to finish up some of the players that you're promoting on that list that I asked for, you mentioned a couple of NFC East receivers, Devonta Smith, rookie for the Eagles. And I don't know where my people think he's on the Dolphins, but he's on the Eagles, the, the Heisman Trophy winner, and Michael Gallup coming off a disappointing season. But now, hopefully, Dak Prescott is all systems go. And and that offense, man, they were going to put up pinball numbers if Dak doesn't get hurt last year. The defense was horrible. The the passing game was, you know, mistakes aside here and there, they were going to have a monster year. And I I feel sad that we didn't get to see what would ultimately happen. I'm sure a lot of people are nervous about the season Gallup had. There's talent ahead of him. I I don't think anybody thinks he's better than Cooper or CeeDee Lamb, but Michael Gallup is a talented player. Sometimes it's hard to know what to expect of rookies. So I think Smith can be a tough guy to rank. Uh, In either order, talk about these two NFC East guys.
0: Smith, you said people have a hard time ranking rookies, so we're getting a rookie discount on Smith, and we're also getting a size discount on on Smith. There's just uh, uh, a lot of people that aren't going to buy in the fact that his size is going to succeed no matter what you show them with data. So being drafted as a wide receiver at 37 has a chance to be uh, number one on on an offense that uh, I think can be pretty good. the The disconnect for me is the fact I know Jalen Hurts is uh, a lot of his fantasy scoring is going to come from rushing but if we are going to have a, a quarterback kind of high and then none of his passers uh, going that high then I'll take the number one if he's still pretty cheap and he's one of the best prospects to come out in recent years so I like him a lot and then Gallup is just a simple fact I don't think that even though I, I do think Uh, amari and cd will have more targets than him i don't know if it's the gap is going to be as wide as the adps suggest we have amari and cd being drafted as top 15 wide receivers and gallup being drafted as a wide receiver 52 and an offense that could potentially be the highest scoring in the league and listen gallup's a guy even if they stay completely healthy and, and the targets play out as expected We don't need every single pick to be a league winner, but we want to have some usability with the potential for crazy upside. And if Gallup is a guy that sits on your bench, but you can plug him in and he has huge touchdown upside and a really good offense, like, sure, he might – you might play him and he might be a huge dud for you, but I'd rather have a player on my bench that I could plug in and in a week eight buy and he has a potential to go off for 122, whereas a lot of players being drafted as wide receiver 50s just don't ha- ever have that potential any week. Um, so those are the players I want on, on my bench and hopefully end up using them a lot.
1: The wisdom of TJ Hernandez, who's one of the stalwarts over one of our favorite fantasy football sites, 4 for 4 fantasy Let's talk about some of your fades. We don't have a ton of time left, so we, we'll go a little bit speed round on these guys. Uh, you listed five of them. J.K. Dobbins is a Hernandez fade right now.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, Dobbins, I, I touched on it briefly when I, I mentioned Lamar Jackson. I, I just don't uh, – I can't justify spinning. We already talked about how much higher running back ADP is as a whole. He's going off as an RB16, uh, J.K. Dobbins is, which doesn't sound – Crazy expensive, but on Yahoo right now, that's the 26th pick. And uh, if you just look at players going around there, um, it it really comes down to opportunity cost for me. Uh, George Cable, Terry McLaurin, Darren Waller, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, Mike Evans. Julio Jones, all, all those receivers, the, both of the Dallas receivers going after him. I would just rather take my shot on, on those pass catchers uh, than target Dobbins right there in an offense where Lamar's going to steal a ton of his touchdown equity. He, he's. I, I just don't know where his weekly consistency comes from and he loses a ton of his upside to Jackson. So, so to spend basically a, a two, three uh, turn pick on a player like that is just not how I'm interested in building my teams.
1: I think people have often maybe drawn the long, wrong conclusion with mobile quarterbacks that say, Oh, well, it's going to widen the defense and it's going to be great running lanes. And that can't be true. But a lot of times those quarterbacks, one, a lot of the rushing production is going to go to the quarterback. A lot of the rushing touchdowns going to go to the quarterback. And when plays break down, a lot of times Lamar Jackson, rather than dump the ball off to anybody, he realizes the best broken play is for him to scamper for 15 yards. So you don't get a lot of those cheap throws. There's none of that Philip Rivers, you know, dumping the ball off to a running back. That doesn't exist, or at least it hasn't existed. I know Baltimore said they would like to throw the ball more to Dobbins. Teams, you know, whatever. Teams would like to do a lot of things. We'll see if there's any traction. And Greg Roman. Gus Bus is still good, too. Sure, sure. <laughs> Gus Edwards is definitely a good football player and one of my favorite. If you're, you're going for cheap value in your best ball or seasonal, I'd like to have some Gus Edwards. And I agree that the Dobbins price looks a little bit pricey right now. Uh, DeAndre Swift we're going to be in agreement on. I'm not sure he's going to be the starter. Quote-unquote starter, that means did you play the first snap of the game? We'll see. But, but, man, it sure seems like the new Detroit regime really likes Jamal Williams. This looks like a timeshare, and I'm not sure Swift – if there's a 55 or 60% um, you know, back in this offense, I'm not sure it's him.
0: Yeah, I think we, we can cut all of the audio that we discussed on Jonathan Taylor if, if uh, Carson Wentz isn't playing and paste it here for DeAndre Swift. I mean, this is an offense that has the potential to be the worst offense in the league, the least efficient offense, the lowest scoring offense. And Jamal Williams is a guy that, I mean, go back. He he was next to Aaron Jones, who I think is one of the better running backs in the league. And the Packers consistently gave Jamal Williams work with Aaron Jones and didn't let Aaron Jones be a workhorse. Now you can say, maybe Aaron Jones doesn't have the ability to be a workhorse. Maybe Jamal Williams is just that good. And coaches want him on the field. And that's already kind of the sense we're getting out of Detroit. So if this is going to be a bad offense, and if you're taking Swift, you're hoping that he's a 70% touch show guy. I just don't see that happening at all. If the offense is going to be great, sure. If you're going to take a running back on a bad offense, he needs to be able to be getting almost every single touch. And I just don't see that with the undersmith.
1: It It's just so hard to make an early pick on a running back if you're not sold on the offense of the team because you're investing in that whole infrastructure and it's going to take time for the Lions to turn things around. I'm always uncomfortable when we disagree, and we're going to disagree on Adam Thielen. I think I know the 14 touchdowns weren't realistic to repeat. But I, it's such a narrow tree there, and I, I, Thielen's such a good player inside the 20. If they, they found a lot of ways to get him some cheap touchdowns, I think he's a good bet for six to eight touchdowns, maybe nine touchdowns. He's not Jefferson. Jefferson's the alpha here. This is one of those chicken-egg things where it's like, okay, well, maybe does Thielen benefit from not being the, the guy who gets the, the best coverage, you know, the best corner, or maybe, maybe some teams will look to bracket Thielen. I, I mean – Bottom line is this. I think Thielen can regress and still be a pretty good value. He's on the Hernandez fade list. Give me your Thielen pitch
0: it's always about opportunity cost right so he's going as as the wide receiver 18 so he's just in this group of wide receivers that i like a lot we already talked about the dallas receivers a little bit uh cd lamb and Murray cooper both right there depending on which one you like both of the rams receivers um are going right there uh dj moore's going right there tyler rockett all guys that um, I, I just trust to have a, a bigger role in terms of volume i mean we saw Uh, Once Justin Jefferson really started taking off, we saw uh, Thielen's targets drop to under seven targets per game from I think it was from week nine on. And that touchdown rate is is surely going to come down. So he was already kind of on the low side of volume. Only one player that finished the top 24 receiver had fewer targets than Adam Thielen last year. And not only is he likely to regress, Kirk Cousins played out of his mind last year. I mean, obviously he had those two guys elevating him, so I think Kirk Cousins can be consistently efficient. I don't think he can be as efficient as he was last year. Uh, and I, I, even though this is a narrowed passing game, I, I think Justin Jefferson is much more what we saw in the second half in terms of how much of the target share he draws. I don't, I don't think he's going to score, you know, I don't know if he's going to score that stat line. It's, it's hard to do, but um, I think the target share is very sustainable, and that's my concern with Thielen is not just the drop in touchdowns, but if we look at his season-long numbers, I think the better projection is that second half of the season.
1: Again, we're kind of up against the clock here, so be as tight as you can on these last two. Uh, the Bucks receivers you're not super high on, and it sounds like you're not going to be drafting Kyle Pitts.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, the Bucs receivers is basically just so many guys to feed there. It's it's really Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both going as top 13 wide receivers when they have Antonio Brown there. They have Gronk, they have pass-catching running backs. And even when O.J. Howard was healthy, he was getting a fair amount of targets from from Brady early in the year. So I don't see how both of these guys finish as top 12 wide receivers like they're being drafted as. Kyle Pitts, I know people are saying he's basically going to be used like wide receiver. He's being drafted like he is going to have the best rookie tight end season of all time. He's going to have the 52nd pick overall. On Yahoo, his ADP is tight end six. It only takes one guy in your league to make him the tight end four, and he's going there in a lot of leagues. Um, so a rookie being drafted as a tight end forward, basically his median projection needs to be the best for a rookie tight end in history. And I, I just don't uh, just, I don't see justifying a lot of the players we've kind of talked about in that range already, that 35 to, to 55 range. There's a lot of great players um, in that range that are very reliable and, and a lot easier to project. And I think with just as much upside.
1: Yeah, man, buying an unknown commodity. Uh, at the top of his range makes me uncomfortable i mean i know they're not going to use him as a take out the trash tight end he's going to be a jumbo wide receiver a lot of the time but i think i'm out on pits too we've been talking to tj hernandez our friend over at Four for Four football uh, tj tell our listeners how they can keep up with you and what you're working on
0: yeah, uh, I, I mean, I know we're, we're talking redraft here, but this being August 1st, I'm turning my page from best ball and redraft to uh, to DFS here over at 4 for 4 pretty soon. Uh, we got uh, the Hall of Fame game um, coming up and then a, a ton of preseason DFS content. And then obviously once we get into the season, a lot of uh, DFS for myself, including weekly Yahoo DFS article. So be sure to check that out over at 444 4. on Twitter at TJ Hernandez.
1: And if you're into podcasts, we have a whole suite of great podcasts over at Yahoo sports. Uh, we, we have great NBA shows. We have Charles Robinson rebooting his football show. And if you're into college sports, the college football inquirer doing an episode this week about Quinn Ewers is mulling over division, a decision to leave high school a year early to enroll at Ohio state to cash in on the new, NIL laws—is this the new big trend with top recruits? Uh, check out that episode with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our old friend Pat Forty over at Sports Illustrated. They've been doing their three-man weave for some time, and of course, get social with us. Uh, Scott underscore Pianowski is my tag on Twitter. You can get T.J. Hernandez over at T.J. Hernandez. Yahoo Fantasy is the handle if you want to talk to the Yahoo Fantasy people. Uh, we thank T.J. for joining us today. We thank John Gennaro, our producer, keeping us on the air and sounding great. Andy Behrens, Dalton Del Dom. They'll be back tomorrow doing a podcast and a live stream talking about who knows what, but I'm sure it'll be great. Until then, for TJ, for John, for everybody in the NFL, I'm Scott Pinaski. We'll talk to you soon.